1: to dear hank and john whereas i prefer to think of it dear john and hank it's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions give you Debi's advice and bring you all the week's news from both mars and afc wimbledon john yeah. spring is here and as i look out my window i can see that uh, a sign of that spring on my lilac tree what a relief oh boy Well, this actually, there's not any leaves out on it yet. It takes a while. It is Montana after
0: all. I'm so excited about spring. I am going to allow that joke to pass unmentioned. (laughs) It's really wonderful to have a bit more sunlight and warmth here in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. It's been a long, just just to state the obvious, it's been a rather long winter, despite having been a relatively short winter. And I am very, very excited for spring. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, the days of light and interpersonal interaction are coming. Let us hope.
1: My uh, father-in-law lives in Missoula, and we will occasionally be over at their house. And he does this kind of adorable thing, where whenever the sun comes out, he goes oh, a shadow, <laughs> 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 and he but he'll he'll do it like four times an hour because you know, like the it's not like it's it's like a. Pure blue sky, but occasionally the sun will peek through, and he he gets very excited and, and points at the shadow, and then Oren will run over and be like, "Where, where?" <laughs> so that is adorable, and I, that's how I feel. Like every like little chance to celebrate the sun coming out is what is one we should take. John, do you want answer? Uh, some of these questions that we got from our listeners?
0: I have a question from a listener that's also just a question I have for you, Hank. This question really, really got my mind working. Jesse writes, Dear John and Hank, you know that children's song, he's got the whole world in his hands that Uh talks about God holding the whole world? Yeah. First off, I didn't know Jesse until you wrote that, that that was a religious song. the only words to is it the I know it's a big giant? Yes I thought it was a big giant who had the whole world in his hands <laughs> and the only reason I even know the chorus of the song is because the melody was repurposed to sing about famous Liverpool goalkeeper oh, Jersey God. Dudek
1: oh, You're gonna sing it for us aren't you?
0: I'm not I'm definitely not huh? gonna sing it but I'll tell you the words uh, Jersey Dudek is Polish and the words were we've got a big pole in our goal That's my only oh, relationship cute, to this cute, song cute. How would Earth feel if you oh. shrunk it down oh. to hold it in your hand? Would all the trees be scratchy? Would it feel hot because of its core? And most importantly, would it bounce?
1: Mm, would it bounce? <laughs> would
0: it bounce because, okay, so I thought about this and I'm not, I don't know a lot about science, but I thought it might bounce because of its atmosphere. Uh, I-, I You know, like w- it's surrounded by this like air pocket sort of that makes it maybe bouncy.
1: So, so are we imagining that the earth shrunk down and it still has an atmosphere and is not inside of an atmosphere? Because I imagine that like you shrunk the earth down, but then you're still on the earth or us, an analogous planet.
0: No, I think you're on this. Because you have
1: to, you have to bounce it off of something.
0: Yeah. The surface of Mars. You're on Mars. The earth is the size of your hand Uh or it's Uh actually smaller than your hand. So it can fit in your hand. Right. Yeah. And you throw earth down as hard as you can against the surface of Mars I think I think it, at least in my imagination Earth bounces right back up it's like it's 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 not like bouncy ball level bounce but it's like say tennis ball level bounce
1: I think it's like pool ball level bounce when they do and pool balls do bounce pretty good
0: I would take a pool ball bounce for sure if that's what we're talking about yeah but the the, the other question is which I find completely fascinating is would it be warm to the touch or would it be <laughs> cold to the touch? Because in certain places it's quite warm. In other places it's cold. I assume that the trees would be so small that they wouldn't matter. But like you'd feel Mount Everest, right? Like you'd feel
1: it'd be a bumpy ball. No, no, it would not be a bumpy ball. Okay. Okay. It would, be, it would not be a bumpy ball. It would be significantly heavier than a billiard ball, about twice as heavy. If it was the size of a billiard ball, it'd be twice as heavy as a billiard ball. Okay. And, but it would be smoother than a billiard ball. What? That is- No. Yes. No. Is the, the pits and, and scratches on the surface of a billiard ball, if you blew that billiard ball up to the size of the earth, it would be deeper than the deepest sea and higher than the highest mountain
0: it would be wet though right because it would be 70% water.
1: <laughs> be a little bit wet. Yeah, uh, if it was on this, uh, I mean you've now introduced Mars. So if it's on the surface of Mars the atmosphere immediately um dissipates into No, Mars' no, atmosphere no, the, no. the water immediately boils No,
0: off. no, 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 no. No, it's magic Hey. <laughs> Look. <laughs> not, if we're going to have a hypothetical situation, let's have a hypothetical situation, okay? I'm saying the Earth's atmosphere forget forget everything I just said. Mars blows up to make it so big that the earth is now the size of a billiard ball. And I have also blown up in conjunction with Mars (laughs) to make me so big that I am now, so I am now such a giant that I can hold earth Mm -hmm. and its atmosphere in my hand. I'm in space. I can live in the vacuum of space because I say I can. When I bounce the ball... All the water, like, shakes around in the atmosphere, but in my imagination, at least, it's like a snow globe. Like, like it the sticks? atmosphere stays. Yes, the atmosphere stays. So, like, okay. the, so all the water okay, goes, like, okay, up okay, into okay. the sky, and then it comes back down. It's like the hydrological cycle, but sped up. Right, and everybody who's on the planet is having
1: a bad, bad day.
0: Okay. I Yeah, I definitely think it, this would be bad for the other humans, but I'll tell you what, giant me would be loving it. All that so it's, power.
1: It's a, it, it would be a little bit damp. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very very wet it would be a little damp no
0: are you gonna tell me now that a billiard ball actually has more water on its surface <laughs> than earth would
1: a billiard ball actually <laughs> actually no it would not be a little bit damp it would be soggy no i think it'd be a little damp i think it'd be a little damp no, no. uh it's 70 percent water it's of course surfaces is Yeah. So some of it would be dry and some of it would be wet, but I don't
0: think it'd be that deep. I guess that's true, but I wouldn't, I'm not cutting through the bouncy billiard ball that is earth. I'm holding it. I'm whole, I'm only touching the surface. So my question is, so I think the answer to, is it warm is it's warm, (laughs) but not hot, but maybe there's like one really small cold spot. Like when you're swimming in the ocean and you feel that like inexplicable cold spot.
1: No, that, no, it's going to be cold at the poles. Yeah. It's going to be warm at the equator. Right. And like, there are going to be spots of it that are going to be super warm. If like the moment you shrink it down, it's got the same warmth as all. Of the, it's just the surface temperature that we're talking about here.
0: Yeah. But I'm saying that like when you're holding it, some of that temperature gets like distributed. I don't know. Now that I'm saying the, that, it I'm starts not sure. To, I'm not confident.
1: after some time. But like, it's, yeah, it's got, a, it's got a little film of ice on the, on the, just some frost on the top and bottom. It's a frosty, damp billiard ball. Okay. But it's twice as heavy. And bounces. I'm pretty sure it would bounce.
0: I think it would bounce. I, I'm i 100% sure it would bounce. And people who are going to say it's not going to bounce are not imagining the right hypothetical.
1: <laughs> would the earth bounce? I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to say there are things that I do not know intuitively if anybody has more information, please let me know if the earth would bounce. Okay. It's well, definitely a damp billiard ball.
0: It's a soaking wet billiard ball. Just to, just, I, I can't let that go. I'm sorry, but there's it's a lot. just damp. Most of the billiard ball is wet. That is not <laughs> a damp billiard ball. If most of the billiard ball is wet, it is a wet billiard most ball. Most of
1: the billiard ball is damp.
0: No. <laughs> Some no, of it's dry.
1: It's Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) As is the
0: case with every wet billiard ball, (laughs) part of it is dry. No, you can make a billiard ball 100% wet. If it's underneath the water, you can make it entirely wet. But the moment you pull it out, there's little parts of it that are dry, which is what, (laughs) I mean, we're having here a crisis of language. Imagine, Hank, Mm -hmm. close your eyes. Imagine that you put a billiard ball into a full bathtub of water. Uh Now you pull out the billiard ball Yes, it's wet when it's under the water. You pull out the billiard ball. Four seconds later, when it is still mostly wet, but in places dry, that is what it would be like. All right. Whereas you're arguing that it would be a slightly damp billiard ball, which implies to me that somebody has like like an eyedropper <laughs>
1: it and it. puts like... Four Four beads of water on the billiard ball. That's not it. It's 70% wet. I think it's no. I don't mean like little dots. I mean it's misted. <laughs> that's wet if you have. <laughs> if you have
0: a billiard ball. Yeah, I don't really know. It's a billiard ball water. damp.
1: Like now that we're talking about it, like hard things don't get damp. Uh, yeah. This is this is, I mean, obviously it's a completely ludicrous
0: conversation start to finish, but <laughs> but your notion that if you sp- Spritz a billiard ball with water that the billiard ball isn't wet fascinates
1: me. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking like the oceany parts, like they're not wet. Like you're not gonna like stick your finger in and be like, like and like have a bunch of water on your finger. No, gonna...
0: because as you explained to me, it's gonna be it's gonna be much smoother than yeah. that.
1: But it is going to be wet.
0: Wet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this next question comes from Tremaine who asks, dear Hank and John, is there a handwritten equivalent to using italics? How are you supposed to emphasize something if you're writing, not typing? All the other things work for both. You can bold, you can underline, you can do quotation marks. Is italics just for typing? What gives? Not Johnny Tremaine. Uh, do, do, I mean, you can, I, when I'm typing, sometimes don't bother to italicize and I just put slashes around it. You can do that. The longstanding standing
0: Way of thinking about this though is that italics in text in print text is the equivalent of underlining in handwriting, oh. and now there is also underlining in printing, and so it's a little confusing. But if you think about it, most of the time when you're reading a book,
1: right, you don't, you yeah. read
0: italics like when you're reading something that I don't see it. Underlined. Yeah, when you're reading something yeah. that would be underlined handwritten like the title of a book or a, a word for emphasis in in printing it's italicized
1: Tremaine that was great advice but I have another tip for how to do italicized handwriting okay you have to get to an airport and get on mm-hmm. a plane and then yeah. fly to Rome and then whatever you write there will be italicized
0: oh my God I mean thank God you didn't save that for next week's pod that's all I can say. <laughs> I do think that it's <laughs> funny that the way that we like underline writing in printed books and stuff is by making it look more like handwriting. Like the actual handwritten equivalent to me is if you wrote out everything in print print letters. And then when you wanted to italicize something, you wrote it in cursive. <laughs> but for me, that's not an option because among the many things that I have forgotten since third grade is how to write in cursive.
1: Where the heck does the word cursive come from? Is it only for for when you're using the bad words? N- what? Because it's cursive.
0: <laughs> oh God. Are you just, is this going to be like the <laughs> Hank makes bad jokes spectacular? No, I'm serious. Why? I assume I always thought it was called cursive because it's got all kinds of curves, curves in it. <laughs> like the, you know, what the That's word like definitely dis- not the
1: case. Well, like the word
0: discursive, I always assumed was related to cursive because discursive means like wandering in various directions in mm-hmm. vaguely loopy ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are correct. Um, I think. Well, I Wait, was going to say. No, you're not. You're not correct. It is from it is from the uh, proto uh Indo-European root curs which means to run and it means that uh, with written with a running hand. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But discursive sometimes it comes from the poops. same word
0: I would think because like it means like to run on in various directions away from the meat of the sentence.
1: Did you even miss the part where I said sometimes I have cursive poops?
0: Oh, I did. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I chose to miss it. Um, <laughs> but then you really wanted me to hear it. So I heard it the second time. It really <laughs> Hit home for me that time. Thank you.
1: Can you ask another question before before I ruin our relationship? We're getting
0: there. We're getting there. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Um,
1: Poop is really funny to. I know,
0: I, I I know why it would be really funny to you, and I feel like when I tell Sarah about it later, <laughs> she will also find it really funny. I, I don't have that part of my sense of humor that's like extremely <laughs> scatological. I've never had it. Mm. but I'm happy for you that you have it. This next question comes from N who writes, Dear John and Hank, how do I handle feelings of jealousy when my friends who are also young and work from home start to get vaccinated before I do? How do I patiently wait until it's my turn? XOXO, N. Mm, yeah. First off, N, I just, real quick, there's no, we we, there, we can't kiss and hug, buddy. <laughs> That's why XOXO is so good. No, get XOXO means, it means hug, kiss, hug, kiss. And but virtually. No. Oh, Okay. As long as it's just X's and O's and that's fine. But if you want to XOXO for real, I'm going to need you to get that shot. <laughs> also. I don't mean to make you feel worse about not having been vaccinated.
1: <laughs> there, is there a word yet? for like vaccination jealousy. Cause like, I definitely have seen it arising internally oh, and externally. I feel it so intensely. I also, I saw someone refer to schadenfreude, which is the opposite of schadenfreude. It's when you feel good about your friends getting the vaccine.
0: Oh, I want to have schadenfreude, but instead I, I have, I have jealousy. I do have schadenfreude, but I also have some jealousy. Some mm-hmm. Like even when I know it's people who are wildly right. more deserving than I am. Uh-huh. And, and for whom it absolutely makes sense. Oh sure, like say my parents, <laughs> <laughs> and whom I love. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I, like, obviously they should get vaccinated before me on every level, and and I'm I'm a hundred percent behind it. But
1: also, oh,
0: that seems nice.
1: It does seem nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know what to do about this except to know that it, like, it's it's coming. And also that like, it's not like the world just reopens to you once you get a vaccine. Like, ev- like, we're going to have to get this into a lot of people before it is responsible to behave the way that we once behaved, regardless of whether you're vaccinated. Like, there are certainly things that you will be able to do once you have a- are fully vaccinated. But like, the thing we're working towards isn't really individual. It is a collective vaccination.
0: Absolutely. And the positive outcome is also collective and that we have to work toward that. That said, because the vaccines are at least currently so incredibly personally beneficial, Mm -hmm. I understand if it were more like a flu vaccine that had, you know, like a 60 percent efficacy or something, then you know, we could all talk about like, oh, it's a it's about the 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 collective, and it is about the collective, but there is also like personal, real dramatic personal benefit in getting vaccinated. And so I understand it. I I I feel it too. I think the way that you deal with it is by waiting, because it's not gonna be that much longer for for many of us. Like yeah. it's gonna be pretty soon for most people.
1: Yeah, and every every time it's a little it's longer. Uh, especially because we're vaccinating a fairly good clip now. That means the more people are doing it. And that's very good news. So people who maybe were sort of waiting on their back foot for a while. I know people like this who want to like kind of want to make their own decision and, and like weigh it in their own ways. Every person who decides, oh, yeah, actually, this looks like it's working really well, um, you know, kind of pushes me back in line, but is very good news for them and very good news for all of us.
0: Right. Exactly. So that's the other thing, is that being pushed back in line is actually good news for the social order.
1: Yeah. Oh, you still really want to get it?
0: I'm going to I have dreams about it all the time. Oh wow. All the time. I yeah. have wonderful dreams about it. And for whatever reason every time I get the vaccine in my dreams, <laughs> Sarah gets it first and she's crying and this is notable because Sarah never cries. Like Sarah's yeah. cried maybe like 10 times in the last 20 years that I yeah. that I've known her. And every time I think but Sarah never cries. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's adorable. Oh, God. I'll report back.
0: When I actually get it, I'll report back on who cries. I've got a pretty (laughs) solid idea of who it might
1: be. Oh, God. Okay, John, I got another question here. It comes from Abby who asked Dear Hank and John, recently it occurred to me just how odd it is that our pupils dilate. I get why pupils contract and dilate according to like the surrounding light and stuff, but what happens to the iris closer to the center of the eye? When your pupil dilates, where does that portion of the iris go? Does the pupil just cover it up or does it contract in some way to make room for the ever expanding abyss of our eyes? I am quite puzzled, Abby. John, your pupil is nothing. Well, it's not quite nothing,
0: but I know what you mean. I, this is actually something I know a yeah. lot about on account of having had orbital cellulitis. <laughs>
1: yeah, so the, the iris is the thing that's doing the expanding and contracting, not the pupil. The pupil is just the space that's left in the center and the iris is a sphincter. So it's a muscle that can, that contracts radially and can get quite thin and it can, can make the hole really small or it can make the hole really big. So you got a sphincter in your eyeball, so that's fun. Yeah, and your pupil is basically the
0: thing through which light goes, Mm -hmm. and then the sphincter of your iris decides how big that needs to be for you to get the amount of light that your iris thinks would be most beneficial.
1: So your seeing is basically like farting in reverse, but with photons. That is not incorrect, right? Yeah,
0: that's not a terrible way to think about it.
1: And you want to be able to control how many photons go in and out, just like you want to be able to control... Farts. Actually, you mm-hmm. don't
0: want to have an active choice. It's true because you're. If you had an active it's choice, true. you want
1: it's it's it to be able to be controlled. Yeah,
0: exactly. If you had a super active choice, it would take you way too long to be like, dial it back there, dial it. <laughs> like, I don't actually, I don't want to be able to contract my iris the way I can contract my bicep. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> I, I <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's another thing where the body is doing a great job
1: without me. <laughs> Do you ever feel like your mind is doing a great job without you? Uh, no, no. I feel like my mind
0: needs, <laughs> needs active intervention. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be great. I think your mind is yeah. does, does work sometimes. incredibly well on its own sometimes. Yeah. But my, yeah. I feel like my mind needs... Constant, oh man! Uh, constant intervention. Sorry, I brought it up. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's not like I don't know about it, <laughs> and you don't want it to not be. You don't want that kind of stuff to not be mentionable, right? Like you oh, want to be course. able to yeah. uh, to talk about it and be honest about it. But yeah, I I certainly know people who like their their background way of getting through the the world works really really well. Like they're sort of natural, inherited, unconscious way of navigating works awesome. Yeah. I am not such a person, but mm. I I also, I, I think there's advantage. Well, no, not really. I was going to say it. No, there's not, though. <laughs>
1: okay. You have another question for us, John?
0: Yeah. But unfortunately, Hank, I've just been informed that we need to read some sponsor advertisements Oh yeah! Like for instance, did you know that today's podcast is brought to you by cursive poops? Cursive
1: poops. They 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 just they go on and on. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by a damp billiard ball. Nope it's it's possibly moist. It may be wet. Yeah. It's a it, but it's heavier than a
0: billiard ball and it's very smooth. Uh, today's podcast is also brought to you by a wet billiard ball. A wet billiard <laughs> ball. A more accurate description of a billiard mm. ball. That is 70%
1: water on its surface. And also this podcast is brought to you by Vaccine Dreams. Vaccine Dreams, who's crying in yours? This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free, fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time-saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Jobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Ollipop, Poppy, Salt, Hank, I do want to ask this question from
0: Ben. I think it's a really interesting question, and I think we should try to solve it without dealing with the underlying problems, which are real and complex. Ben writes, Dear John and (laughs) Hank, I want to write a story. That's great. But my parents Mm -hmm. have access to my Gmail and therefore my Google Docs, which is the only place I can think of writing it. Mm. I do not wish for my parents to see it, and they have been very pushy about seeing other things I have done in the past. Mm. I am worried that they will sign into my Gmail and look at this story should i get over these issues or is there another solution note that i hate writing with pencil and paper and refuse to do it
1: well <laughs> that's a good thing to know that's that pumpkins and penguins ben there yeah there gotta be like if you have internet there gotta be places where you can write that aren't google docs the, i don't know what they are because i don't and also john did you know about doc.new no if you go to your web browser and you type in doc.new mm-hmm. what happens Well, look at that. It's a new Google Doc. That's nice. I mean, that. That's cool. Is so
0: convenient. It is. It does not solve. That saves me like six clicks. It does not solve Ben's problem, but it is a good life hack. And I appreciate you sharing it with me. So I thought of a few possible solutions. One, Ben, is that if you're okay with having the document saved to your hard drive, there's usually on any computer like a basic. Text editor. Note. Yeah. taking text editor kind of app that you can use. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I actually wrote much of Looking for Alaska inside of a text editor. And so I know that this is possible. That's my first book, Ben. It's available um, wherever books are sold. Wow. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to sell something I wrote <laughs> 17 years ago. I'm not above it. The, the other thing I thought of, Hank, is, all right, Ben, this is my idea. I don't know if this is a great idea, but I really like it. I want you to go to sheets.google.com and then your parents are going to look at your spreadsheet and they're going to be like, oh my God, this is so boring. It's one of Ben's spreadsheets. It's endless. I like it. Make a real spreadsheet. It doesn't matter what it's about. You can make it like, oh, this is my my net worth goals for the next 15 years or whatever, but make a real (laughs) spreadsheet. Make it about something that your parents are going to find intensely boring. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a Pokemon collection, make it a Pokemon spreadsheet, whatever your parents are going to find super boring. So what you're going to do then, Ben, is you're going to create a second sheet down there at the bottom. Mm -hmm. It's like a second page.
1: Nobody Mm -hmm. even knows about, I I can't. Or you just scroll down. Do you just scroll down a bunch or do you open like a sheet tab? Because there are sheet tabs and sheets.
0: I would open up a second sheet tab and Uh then scroll down a bunch for extra security. Right. And then you could actually write a paragraph inside of a Google Doc, control exit, and then paste it into this secret Mm. second sheet, scrolled Mm -hmm. way down, and just go paragraph by paragraph by paragraph by paragraph. And then the Google Doc is empty all the time, but your sheet is where the story is stored.
1: In the sheets. And I like this, especially because you're going to need to learn how to use spreadsheet software. Exactly. So you might as well get that out of the way with your fake spreadsheets about your Pokemons. Or right. like yes. just do some science, like go measure some leaves or something. Yeah. And I can't imagine that someone would look farther than being like, oh, Ben's super into leaves right now. Okay. Alternately. Oh, you got a third option.
0: You could have a conversation... With your parents, Ben, where you say, listen, I'm old enough now to be writing my own stuff and I need to be able to write stuff that y'all can't read. Yeah. And that's a hard moment for a parent, but it's also an important moment because parents can't, um, they can't be over their kid's shoulders for the kid's whole life. Like you've got to be able to, to grow up. Mm -hmm. But personally, I would do the sheets thing because I, I love to avoid conflict. (laughs)
1: John, this next question is from Morgan, who asks, dear Hank and John, no frustration has ever flooded my body more than when I lost my copy of Turtles All the Way Down that was signed with a Pokeball. I moved multiple times and it got lost. John, will you be adding anything special to the Anthropocene Reviewed books? Looking forward to May. Morgan, not Freeman.
0: Thank you for that clarification, Morgan. Yeah. First off, we'll send you a copy of Turtles All the Way Down with a Pokeball in it. That's not a hard problem to solve. I still have the Pokeball creator here in my household. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But yes, so I'm signing 250,000 sheets of paper that are going to get bound into the Anthropocene Reviewed book. Most of them just have a signature, like- The overwhelming majority. Mm -hmm. But about 100 of them have illustrations either from or maybe 200 have illustrations either from Henry or Alice. So Mm -hmm. Henry tends to draw these stick figures that say hi or that um, engage in minor acts of violence toward my signature. It's very funny. And Alice draws these, I would call them cat people. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Cats, but it's sort of in that vein. Although I have to say I like Alice's illustrations more. So (laughs) there, there are a couple hundred, by the time I'm done, maybe a few hundred of those. And then there are probably like a few hundred that I draw spirals on because I like to draw spirals. The vast majority of them, like I said, are just... Are, are merely signed. I mm-hmm. I wish that it were more, but yeah, and there, there will be a few with pokeballs just because i'll I'll make Henry draw some pokeballs at the end as we're uh stacking them all up to go into the boxes. I do not think that I will ever do this again, Hank. I do not think you'll ever do it again either. I think I'm done. I think this is the proper number of times to do that. I think I, I think this is the last time I will sign the first printing of a book, un- unless I get to a point where the first printings are like yeah. 800 copies, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I might do it again. We got to work toward that future. <laughs> I think the first printing of Looking for Alaska was like 6,000. So I could have done that in a day, but 250,000 is... I kind of I understood in the abstract that it was going to be difficult, but now that I've got eighty seven thousand to go and my hand hurts, I'm. This is the last time. So, if you want to get a signed first edition of one of my books, th- this is this is it. The, this the is the last the last time. The Anthropocene Reviewed coming to bookstore near you on May eighteenth. All right, Hank. Before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to ask this question from Grace, who writes: Dear John and Hank, what is tape? Like scotch tape? What is it made out of? Why is it sticky? Why does it smell so weird? Grace.
1: (laughs) Well, different tapes are different. Scotch tape. I, I looked at this. It's made of a bunch of different things. And I was shocked by how many different things it was made of. So there's. It there's, is
0: weird. Like, yeah. I never thought about this before now, Grace, but tape is weird. And I feel like if you pitched it to people of the eighth century, they would be
1: like, wait, what now? Well, in fact, Scotch Tape came out just before the Great Depression. And because of it, th- uh, 3M was one of the only companies during the Great Depression that didn't have to lay anybody off because it was so useful that people bought it Wow! and it was inexpensive to make. So they could sell it for cheap and still make money and and everybody was like, oh, this is extremely useful. So there's four layers of scotch tape. The top layer is a layer that like makes it so that it will stick to itself, but not too much. Mm. So it's like an anti-stick layer. And then you have like a matte layer that makes it not shiny, but matte colored, like matte, you know, like it's not shiny. And then there's the actual like film that the structure, the structural part of the tape, and that is made mostly of cotton, which, wow, upset me a little bit for some reason.
0: I would not, I would not have guessed that. It's
1: cotton mixed with some plastic stuff, um, but like it's cotton pulp that gives it some structure, and then it's the sticky part, mm. and that is made of basically it's it's refined out of crude oil. And then they are mixed with water and sort of sprayed onto the tape. And that's the stuff that you're smelling. Um, so there's some volatile organic compounds in there that were sort of like the maybe the solvent that those compounds were dissolved in that that then like yeah. sort of evaporated it mostly. They
0: smell like solvent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or it might just be that that's what the, the sticky stuff itself smells like. But I don't know what the smell actually is. But uh, it was invented because the car manufacturers wanted a, a a tape that they could use so that they could paint a car two different colors, really, yeah, Wow, which I also found be- very surprising. But then it became extremely useful for everyone. and and of course, in the way of these things because it was created at a company, the company made all the money and the guy who invented them, whose name was Richard, got, you know, we know we know who, th- who his name is. You can look it up, but uh you I don't think that he got super rich off of it, yeah. His name was Richard Drew, John. Richard Gurley Drew.
0: Okay, well, thank you, Richard Drew. Let's move on to the news from AFC Wimbledon. Hank, as you'll remember, AFC Wimbledon has a new manager, the former manager of the kids team, Mark Robinson, and we are a different football club. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean that we're good. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like we have the same set of problems that we had before one of the smallest budgets in league one, all the same problems. Yeah. We don't, we don't have like a whole new crop of players or anything, but we have a very different attitude and I love it. I, okay. we are possessing the ball. We are passing the ball from one player to another, which is almost unprecedented in my time as a, as a Wimbledon fan. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, it is It is joyful to watch not only that, but two games in a row, we have been down one nil with five minutes left in the game and we have come back instead of giving up late goals. We have come back to score late goals Mm. in our game against Shrewsbury or as apparently eventually in the UK Shrewsbury. Oh, my God. In our game against Shrewsbury. We had 53 percent of the possession, which is again unprecedented. <laughs> and this uh, 19-year-old kid, Ayub Asal, scored uh, a, a very late goal. Came on as a substitute. His first game ever, scoring for any kind of in any kind of professional football. He's from the youth side. Mm-hmm. He's 19 years old. Um, As Mark Robinson, the manager, said after the game, Ayub doesn't look like a footballer, but he has the heart of a footballer. He's tiny. I mean, he's a he's a very small kid, but. I mean, watching him in that game was so joyful. He was relentless. He was playing with, oh my, it was so fun to watch him. <laughs> so then he scores his first goal in professional football of his whole life. He scores. What does he do? How does he celebrate? The answer is he doesn't celebrate, Hank. He runs into the goal. He picks up the ball and he runs back because he wants to put Wimbledon in a situation where maybe we could get a second goal. I have never admired... Uh, A 19 year old kid so much in my life. Now, we didn't get the second goal as it happened, but it was still Mm -hmm. very heartening to see. And then we were down one nil against Blackpool. And in the 93rd minute, Ollie Palmer, uh, long injured, uh, very big guy who has not played as many games as he would have liked this year. Uh, scored a goal in the 93rd minute, in the last minute of injury time, essentially the last kick of the game. In that game, we had 56% of the possession. I love the new Wimbledon. It's so fun to watch everybody is playing with just such relentlessness and you you feel like they are just playing to the absolute limit of their abilities and it is joyful and I I love Ollie Palmer and I love I love 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 are you a assault I love that he has come from the youth squad and that he's brought this energy into the team I'm just I am loving sponsoring AFC Wimbledon. We are still in the relegation zone.
1: you are still in the relegation zone uh but two draws is great. Compared to two losses.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's face it, Hank, if we draw the rest of our games, we'll probably survive. <laughs> <laughs> so no no more scoring and no more letting anybody else score. That's right. Let's just, let's, let's null and void the season. Just zeros on the board from here on out. But yeah, I just, I, Mark Robinson's AFC Wimbledon is an absolute, just a wonder to watch. And it's just so encouraging to see, you know, somebody who's never had a chance to coach anywhere near professional soccer, get a real chance and and just show what he can do. It's wonderful. So it's just it's been a lot of fun. If you can watch AFC Wimbledon on the iFollow app, I really encourage it, which you'll you'll note I wasn't saying earlier in the season. Um, <laughs> it's it's just great fun to watch us right now.
1: In Mars news, John Perseverance completed its first test drive on March 4th. It uh, They took it out for a little bit of a spin. It drove for 33 minutes, during which it moved forward 13 feet, turned for 150 feet, and then drove eight more feet. Uh, that served as a you know a test of the yeah. mobility and a calibration of all the rover systems. It's working great, which is, I mean, I don't know why I always have this, like, this happens. It's like, ah, the rover is on the surface of Mars. And, like, that's the hard part but like maybe yeah. its wheels just don't work or something. Maybe right, it's like, right, right. Ah, there's a there's a little hitch in my giddy up and I'm just going to sit here for the next four years. But yeah, it is roving effectively. Curiosity is also still roving effectively and sending about some amazing pictures right now. It's approaching a seven meter tall cliff face that is 100% sedimentary rock. It's gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really cool. In addition to testing out Perseverance, NASA has named the Perseverance's touchdown site. So they do this; they name the 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 landing sites. They called it the Octavia E Butler landing for Octavia Butler, the author who wrote *Parable of the Sower* and *Kindred* and the *Xenogenesis* books. Who is wonderful? I think that
0: would mean so much to Octavia Butler to know. I wish you were here. I mean, I wish you were here to see the big resurgence and interest in her work. But that is. That's the right person to honor with that. That's really wonderful to hear. That's so cool, and it's so cool that the rover is roving. I also have this fear that, like, I know they're gonna do, they're gonna do the hard part, but like, you know, like the axle on my car breaks sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what if, what if it, you know, what if the landing was a little rougher than it looked and something yeah. happened? But no, it was great to see that it's it's roving, as you put it.
1: Speaking of a landing looking a little tougher than it looks, I don't know if anybody else watched the SN. 10 launched It's the new uh SpaceX missions in there trying to get this thing reusable. And they launched it up for a test and it came down and the for the first time. So this is the tenth one of these, for the first time it, it landed uh vertically, very uh, you know, and it looked a little rough. And it was like it kind of seemed like it came down a little hard, but then it was sitting there and it was like, I guess we did it, and then it exploded. <laughs> uh and it, it, just a spectacular explosion, too. <laughs> Yeah. Like movie style thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. Oh, it's hard. Uh, I, I, I would think based on my, uh, home rocketry with those little, uh, engines. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, I, I can't, I can't get those things to have their parachutes deploy with any regularity. So I have a lot of, (laughs) I have a lot of empathy for people who are Mm -hmm. trying to do it with real rockets.
1: Yeah. John, thank you for making a podcast with me. We're off to record our patron-only podcast this week in stuff, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. You can send us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who does that. There is no podcast without you. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola, And as they say in our hometown... Don't forget to be awesome. awesome.